Welcome to The Dinner Table. My name is Joe Hilliard. And my name is Aislinn Campbell. And speaking of Aislinn Campbell, I'm looking at a rested, relaxed, energized Aislinn Campbell. Oh, because I just went to Charleston. Did you do the Charleston? No. I was looking at all of your social media for some kind of TikTok-y, hoober-goober video of you and your mom doing the Charleston in a loop. Mm-mm. We'll have to remedy that in some kind of future family get-together. <laughs> okay. I do have a lot of fantastic stories. You look like a tourist that just got home. From Charleston, South uh-huh. Carolina. I did. I have a pineapple on my shirt because they have a whole pineapple thing. Right. And then I have my Charleston Sweetgrass and Flowers coffee mug, and I love it so much. Can you stand up and do the Charleston? No, no one will oh, be able to damn. see it. <laughs> We're going to get into the stories, right? But as I arrived last night, I got home and Joe had bought me a gift. I did. Oh my God. It's amazing. Yeah, I bought you the very thing that you wanted. A Range Rover. I bought you while you were gone the black 2020 (gasps) Range Rover. Holy hell, how that happened. You are welcome. Oh my God, you are amazing. The keys are microscopic. Be careful. Oh my God. They're so good. I'm, I, it was a sweet treat. I, I really liked it. And I know we're going to talk more about the extravagance and beauty of Charleston. I look forward to that in just a minute. But in the meantime, unanswered questions. Last week, we talked about you getting a single dairy cow out at the farm, potentially. Yes. And as I've learned just in the last few days, that apparently, if you know anything about chicken math, apparently dairy cow math is similar. Ah. (laughs) One equals four. (laughs) Five equals 30. Right. We talked about artificially inseminating that female cow. Yes. In order to get cattle to raise for food. And I asked the question, I can tell you that when you type in how much does sperm cost on Google... You better put cattle in there. <laughs> really? Now listen. <laughs> no, you didn't. I'm rewinding back to eighth grade. Coach McFarland's health class. <laughs> we were going to do a birds and the bees type of talk. Uh-huh. And Coach McFarland told us on that day, I don't want to hear any snickers. I don't want to hear any teehees. We are adults today learning about adult faculties. So, Asen, what I'm about to go into, I don't want to hear any juvenile reaction That's to. That's stupid. That's stupid. Why can't we giggle and laugh about it? Why can't we be joyful about it? We got to the part in the chapter about female puberty mm-hmm. and the phrase, breasts will grow. <laughs> and a guy like, you know, uh-huh. and Coach McFarland slammed his hand down on the table Aww. and said, no laughing. And then we wonder why we, we wonder have these why we weirdo have things we have reactions to, heal from? to sexuality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the question is, how much does it cost to purchase bull sperm to artificially inseminate your cow? How much? Did you learn? I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me gasp. Aislinn? <laughs> okay, first of all, do you know how semen is extracted from a bull? No clue. Now, this is very general. <laughs> okay. They have a starter animal parked in a way and position that arouses the bull. The bull will mount it. It will become aroused. Uh At that moment, the starter animal is taken away. That was just to get the bull horny. (laughs) Aislinn, 
Stop giggling. I'm having a hard time. Then. It a, hasn't been that long ago that I literally saw a bull mounting. A <laughs> so technician. I'm, I'm visioning this. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting evening. <laughs> the technician then will take an artificial vagina. <laughs> I just almost sprayed my coffee everywhere. And release the cow's. You understand? And then that is collected and frozen after being placed into... Now, when you go to the grocery store, especially the natural grocery store, and at the aisle, they have those honey straws. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Different flavored honeys in a plastic straw, drinking straw that's melted on both ends to capture the honey. Then you get into your car, you bite off one end, and you drink the honey. <laughs> You're so immature. I'm so full of joy like a child. That is called a straw. In the artificial insemination world, and you literally purchase those, and those come to you frozen. Uh huh. Even in liquid nitrogen canisters, because it has to be very specifically temperature regulated. Mm-hmm. It is time to inseminate the female cow. There are much more that I could go into, but that is taken and thawed at the deliverer's instructions, placed into a specific kind of gun. Like a long tube that goes inside the cow's reproductive tract and being placed in the proper area. It's all about timing and location, just like humans. But fascinatingly, the technician that does the insemination wears those, and you've seen these in documentaries and stuff, the elbow-long gloves, Uh rubber gloves, Uh because in order to position it correctly and make sure that the sperm is being put into the right area, that's when you put your hand up the cow's butt. Uh Uh-huh. Because the wall of the rectum is thin enough to be able to manipulate and touch and see where the cervix is and all of that kind of thing. (laughs) How much do you think it costs for a single straw of semen? $250. There are websites that you can order it from all over the country that have a catalog of photographs of actual different bulls that it's going to be selected from. Uh And you would pick breed. You can even pick color and Uh eye Uh placement. And it can range here locally. There's a local couple of people that do this. As inexpensive as $25 Uh and as expensive as $150. Okay. Now, when you're getting into show bulls, Uh it can go much, much, much higher. Sure. But for your purposes, it would be basic... Fifth grade chromosome XY study of what you're looking for, Mm -hmm. and you can get it here locally for pretty inexpensively. Now it talks about, do you do it yourself or do you have a professional come in and do it? But it's not as expensive as I thought it was going to be. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a job I might want to hire somebody to do. I agree. (laughs) Especially the glove up the butt part. That would be the part that I would... (laughs) Well, but when you have animals, I mean, you have to know. Like, that's the thing about livestock and farm and livestock. And that's why some people are just like, nope, not interested. And some people, you know. But at the other side of it is I am definitely not afraid to hire people to do things that I don't want to (laughs) do. We talked about the ingredients of a block and a bag of cheese last week. And I said offhand, well, when you go to the farmer's market, they're not going to have that natamycin in it. Oh, the, you looked at it. The mold inhibitor. And I said, are you sure? You got to look at the ingredients uh-huh. at the farmer's market. Yep. The farmer's market cheese that we purchase does not have any mold inhibitors or anything added to it. And that's why it goes, goes moldy faster. a little bit more quickly yeah. than the cheese you get at the farmer's market. Right. And then you overtly asked, and I failed to answer, When I made those tacos last week, Mm -hmm. did I buy a block of cheese or a bag of grated cheese based on the research I had done? Asun, I am fully committed to grating my grating my own cheese (laughs) from this point forward. High five. 
You are so great. You are the greatest grader of all grading graders. I can't wait. That's great. And I'm not going to allow you to delay any longer the idea that we're talking about your trip to Charleston. I know. I want to know what you ate. I want to know what you drank. I want to know what you saw. I want to know what you learned. First of all, why Charleston? My mom had mentioned that uh, because their trip to Paris had been shifted and another trip that they had planned this last year, that she had a ton of points that she wanted to use. COVID killed their travel plans. Exactly. And she said, okay, I want to go somewhere. And it was actually the intercession week. She was like, let's take Lily. Let's go tomorrow. Mom. I'm not exactly retired, so uh, I do need to do some planning, Mm -hmm. and I will need to situate kids, and Lily plays volleyball. Too short notice. It's not the season for that yet for her. Let's do something else. Because while we were there in Charleston, people would say, well, why did you choose to come to Charleston? It was one of those situations where you like, you just go, uh, you point at the Southwest map and you go, I'm going there. Did y'all consider going Northwest and then decide not to because of the fires and whatnot? Well, mostly what we were considering is where we could go where you can actually go. Because there's so many states that are doing a thing where if you come to our state, you have to stay quarantined for 14 days before, before you can, you get can out and... even go. Mm-hmm. So you can't vacation to that state. Y'all would have maybe gone to Maine, but there was some limitations. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. would have totally gone to Maine. Mom said, you know, Char- I've heard from a few people that Charleston is a really nice, very historic, beautiful place. They have beaches. And I never expected, for several reasons, I did not expect to get to travel in 2020 at all. One, because when 2020 started, I had a job where I wasn't even going to be able to get any right. vacation time. Of course, I quit that job, so that's not an issue. And then Corona happened. Is anybody going to be traveling anywhere? And so it was just kind of magic to get the opportunity to just all of a sudden go, okay, going to Charleston, here I go. And the timing was perfect for that. It gave me a break. I needed a break. I needed to get out of the house. I needed to go see some other things. I needed to get myself on track again. So if you listen to last week's episode, you'll know that last week was very intense for me. So I was really looking for the opportunity to really unwind, and and I did, absolutely. Okay, as you know from last week and the beginning of this thing that I've been talking about cars, the truth is, is that a new car, new to me car, whatever, is in our future soon. It has to be. Well, the car that I want and have always wanted and kind of everyone that knows me knows this. Yeah, you mentioned it here. Is the red Jeep Wrangler. Oh yeah, me too. Okay. So the answer to our trip and what I love to do in a trip is for us to rent a Jeep Wrangler. Take the top off enjoy the weather. We go and get, they point us to where our Jeep Wrangler is. We walk out there. Guess what color it is? Red. It's red. Mm -hmm. Of course it is. The trip is off to a great start. It's already off to a great start. We head out. We take the top off. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're even doing on this trip. We couldn't get into our Airbnb yet. So I said, let's go to the beach. Let's go to the Sullivan's Island that you mentioned. Let's just do that right now. Drive right out onto what what basically reminds me of this particular island reminded me of Port Aransas. You can tell that there's restaurants. The houses all look very different because these houses are all very southern colonial beach houses. Mm-hmm. In the midst of that, it's getting to that time of day where it's time for us to eat. And my mom says, oh, look at this restaurant. It's called The Obstinate Daughter. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, that's fun. The Obstinate Daughter. All of the realities of your life there are coming right into view. It's hilarious. She's like, oh, it looks like salads and raw oysters. I was like, done. Done. Can do raw oysters. No problem. Truth be told, 
this was my favorite restaurant. Uh-huh. Everything that they had, the whole experience. It was our first place to eat. It was a farm to table. The chef even has written a cookbook about seasonal eating. Yeah. Right on target for me. We go in there. There's nobody there, which I will tell you, the best time to travel is during a pandemic. <laughs> It cuts down on the pesky tourist crowd? Yeah, because I can go do all the tourist things that I might not normally want to do because there's nobody there. There's no crowds. The restaurants are closed, except if you have a reservation. So we had to look. Do they have a reservation available? You have to call the restaurant to see if they're even open Mm -hmm. because there are restaurants that aren't even open. And they're like, yeah, come on in. Like, awesome. Pull right into this great little place. Beautiful, beautiful restaurant. First thing off the bat. Raw oysters. They have raw oysters from Massachusetts, and they have raw oysters from Canada. Oh, okay. It's not that boutique style, which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. where they where, where you buy one or two, and they're $325 or 350 or 375 a piece or whatever. This was, this is how much we've got it for a dozen. What I have learned is that aside from the Gulf oyster, which I'm a Gulf oyster girl. Sure. Aside from the Gulf oyster, my favorite oysters come out of Massachusetts waters. That's interesting. They are not super big. They're sweet and cold, very salty. Good. Yes. Then the other ones were from Canada. Mm-hmm. They were tiny. Okay. Teeny tiny little oysters. And they were good, but it wasn't anything like those Massachusetts oysters. They were just fantastic. Then they had a lamb pate. Oh. It was easily some of the best pate I've ever eaten in my life. Right. It was very, very, very good. And they had served it with some like pickled broccoli and and then uh, some really good like sweet homemade mustard. Mm. That's one we, we should figure out and try to make. We actually looked through the seasonal recipe book to see if we could find the recipe for it so that we can find make it. Find me a lamb liver. When you made the beef pate before, uh-huh. mm-hmm. it was real ground up, yeah. which that's really the way most... That uh, that creamy pate is real ground up. I was up. pleased with it for a first attempt at pate. Absolutely. But I need to try that again. Absolutely. I thought it was really it good. Better. Well, this was actually a little more grainy. And they had put like some kind of bacon or pork. So they had basically wrapped the block in bacon or pork, I guess, before they had sliced it. So that was just fantastic, amazing. And then we also had um, a really delicious... Now, one of the things I really loved about this place is when I believe I believe she was probably the general manager... She came over and started talking to us, and I hadn't really thought about it, but they're north of us, which means they're still, they're finishing out their summer season of vegetables. So their stuff is still seasonal. It was an apple salad, had some squash in it, it had apples, it had arugula, it had cornbread prosciutto crumble. Ooh. It was really, really, really good. That sounds like a fantastic lunch. Everywhere, at every time of the day when we decide, okay, it's time for us to break fast, where's our cocktail at? We're going to go get our cocktail. And I had fallen in love with, just recently, um, even here at one of our local places, I like the watermelon tequila when they make a watermelon tequila drink. And they usually use like some kind of lime juice and then like chili powder, Uh chili pepper or whatever. Well, they made one of those with their fresh watermelon that was a seasonal cocktail and they grow a lot of watermelons up there. They have a specific watermelon that is theirs that they grow up there. So they had we had this beautiful watermelon cocktail. We're talking to the local. Right. She's telling us, oh, you got to go down here. Drove right out to the beach and then walked on their beach and looked at their beautiful colonial beach houses. Walked by this one lady who was kind of out in her backyard. And my mom says, I love your beach house. And she she's over there kind of doing her work in her garden. And she just looks up and she goes, oh, it's just an old beach house. It's like this mansion, colonial <laughs> mansion on the beach. It's, it's Sullivan's Island, you know, just... 
So amazing. So beautiful. The weather was perfect. It was in the 70s. And the magnificence of this place was just overwhelming. We get into our Airbnb. It's super nice. This is when we get to get into the downtown area of Charleston and get to know what the city is like. Now, so we've been on the beach. We've been on one of their islands. Now we're into our Airbnb. Our Airbnb is in the downtown area of Charleston on the peninsula. They do have a college there. They do have the Medical University of South Carolina. That's there. I know that's there. So there's a lot of college kids there. There's a lot of young population there. And the city absolutely reminded me of what Austin, Texas used to be like when Austin, Texas was fantastic. And I used to love Austin to my core. I might run up there and get some good food or whatever, but I don't really want to hang out in Austin. Austin isn't what it used to be to me. But this place was what Austin used to be. Old homes, the happy life, the easygoing, the eclectic, eccentric, right outside our window was the not-so-hostile hostel. So you can tell that what they've done is they've gone in and turned all of these colonial houses into multifamily dwellings. And some of them are Airbnbs and stuff like that. And so ours was like an Airbnb, you know, broke down too, which made us dig into how big is Charleston? Where does Charleston come from? What's the demographics of, you know, of Charleston. Well, that's one of the things that I know we like to do is to get the full, when we travel to a city that we've never been to before is to get the fullest understanding of what that city is about at its core. Yeah. Avoiding like the tourist traps that are manufactured to present something and rather understand where I am. To give you a tourist experience rather than a Charleston experience. Exactly. I want a Charleston experience. I knew that you were getting it with all the photos you sent. The thing that I learned is that Charleston and that area up there is like our area. And I'll say this with as kind of words as I can. If Corpus Christi can ever get past the lack mentality that we have here, Corpus Christi could be exactly that same thing. That city, that area is filled with joy and happiness and vibrancy and exuberance and hope. And everyone is kind. People drive slow. Oh, you know, I love that. I don't need you ramming down my ass over here, you know, like all up on top of me. Drive slow. Now, the one thing I did notice was that the state highways were not as good. The state highways are nowhere near as good as Texas Texas highways are pretty incredible. They're very incredible. So people- Which also lends itself to a, in some points, 80 mile per hour speed limit. That's correct. Whereas down there, they're driving 65 at the max. Sometimes you're driving 45 miles an hour on the highway. I'm like, like, dude, I'm speeding 20 miles over the speed limit here. (laughs) We get up the next morning. We don't have any plan. And I know that my mom has wanted to go to one of the plantations. You had put on the mat the Magnolia Plantation and Gardens. So that's where we decide to go. I say, let's go. Yeah, I did a little research for you guys to create that map that I always create Mm -hmm. that has breweries and gardens Mm -hmm. and farmer's markets and all the stuff that we like to explore when we go visit. And that Magnolia Plantation came up again and again and again as not a tourist trap, a very, very valuable way to spend your time. It was a very, very valuable way to spend our time. It was so nice. So we get on the road. I don't believe anywhere we drove to, and we drove all over the place. We drove off the peninsula, onto other islands, 20 minutes to anything we wanted to get to. Yeah, that sounds like Corpus Christi too. But you also are driving through 20 minutes of live oak trees that cross over the oh, road wow. you're on. I yeah. mean, massive trees everywhere. Mm. Cypress trees and the Spanish moss hanging off the trees and just this... Postcard in every direction. Oh my God. And probably if I had to say my 
most favorite memory of driving the PCH? When you and I did several years ago. Yes. And we were in the convertible From San Mustang. Diego to San Francisco. Uh-huh. And we were driving. It was further up, closer to San Francisco. Might have been in the Big Sur area. Was just driving and looking up mm-hmm. at the Redwoods above us yeah. and listening to Frank Sinatra on the radio. Yeah. Those are the memories that like seep into me in a way that I can't even explain to you. That that is, that's where I want to be. And also this slideshow in your mind of the beautiful majesty of America. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In different parts of it. Oh, God. Yeah. America is beautiful. Oh, yeah. And there's so much about it that we don't understand, which for those of us that haven't gotten to travel all the different places, right? That being said, Charleston is a great example of that. And I learned so much about Charleston at this Magnolia Plantation. So much about the history of America that I didn't understand. It was fantastic, Joe. We get up there and as we learn, the way they have it is you pay uh, a certain amount to just go in and wander around and look at the gardens. But then you can pay for a tour of the slavery encampment. And then you can pay for a tour of the nature area and the swamps. Do we do all of it? And I'm like, I don't care. Whatever you want to do, I'm up for it. So we end up being there till three o'clock. Like that's our day. Our day is on this place. We got a tour of the actual house, the Magnolia Plantation. We got a tour of, as I mentioned, the slave encampment. We got a tour of the nature area on these little train things. And I believe in hands in the dirt learning. You know that about me, kinesthetic learning, which basically means that I want to be able to see it visually, touch it, feel it, smell it, to understand what someone is trying to teach me with words. Sure. History books in a school classroom didn't work very well for me. So if they taught me, and I'm sure that they did, that Charleston was one of the 13 colonies and it was one of the Southern colonies, it had knocked into my head. Charleston, South Carolina, on the Atlantic Ocean. You probably memorized 13 state names, recited those on some kind of exam, and then it's gone. Shit, if I remember any of that. exactly. Right? But to also know that that place has been there since the beginning of America when the English settlers came here. Let's put it that way. Sure. America existed long before the English settlers were here, but you know what I mean? There were a lot of plantations there. And of course, the plantations had slave labor. That's a part of their history. Of course. What are they going to say? What are they going to teach us? And we got on this train to go over to the encampment area. And as we turn the corner to like walk up, I see this massive live oak tree, bigger than you can even imagine. And I pointed at that tree before anyone had said anything to me and said, that tree, that tree right there has felt so much. That tree has seen it all. So we go over, sit down underneath the pavilion where the historian's going to talk to us. And in front of us are four houses, four whitewashed little tiny houses that as we learn, were considered like duplexes, like one side you know, would be where the um, one family would live and on the other side would be another family would live there, the slaves. And then maybe over in this other house, like on one side would be the single females would live on this side of it. The single males would live on the other side of it, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. They were tiny, tiny little little rooms, basically. So when you talk about a duplex, you're not talking about like a kitchen and a bathroom. Mm, You're literally talking about a room with a loft where the kids sleep and a fireplace, tiny, 300 square feet okay. kind of situation. And what he told us about those particular things was that each one of those houses was like during a different generation. They were the original houses, but they were moved to be in that location so that they could show them for history. The first thing he said as we all sat down was, do y'all see that tree over there? Oh, yeah. 
That tree is 300 years old. And I wish that tree could talk because if that tree could talk, it has a lot of stories. Right. And you know, I've talked about that like empathic nature that I have where I can feel the vibration of things. Like I felt it right as we walked up. But I will tell you one other thing that was really massive for me was that particular plantation grew Carolina gold rice. Oh, well. So rice was their thing. They were a rice farm. And that they would take a mortar and pestle, like a giant mortar and pestle. And then you would crush the rice to break the hole. Okay. You didn't want to crush the rice inside the hole. The grain. So there was like an art to it. Okay. And he was saying that the women were the ones that did that work because the men would mess it up. The men could go work in the fields, but the women would do the art of the the rice, the art of the food. And that was really magnificent to me. And so when he said, okay, y'all go go ahead and go over and look inside the houses if you'd like to. And I went into the very first oldest one. And I went in and there was a mortar and pestle and a fireplace in there. And I went inside and I, I touched the mortar and pestle that same feeling, it was so much feeling. I, I literally broke into tears and then it took me a while. You know, I went over to the tree and you could touch this tree. This tree's not blocked off where you can't get up next to it. You know, right. me, the tree hugger, I'm over there like hugging the tree and mm-hmm. crying on the tree and loving on the tree and getting some photos. And I basically said, I don't want to go in any more of the houses because my empathic soul, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. But one of the things that was said by one of the other historians on the tour was, and it's just, it goes back to what we talked about last week, and that is, we can't heal from the atrocities of our past if we aren't willing to look at them in the face, speak the truth about what happened, face them, and then heal, and then release them, and then heal from them. Yeah, I mean, most folks learn about slavery in middle school in a chapter. Oh, we didn't I don't think we learned book. shit about it in all honesty. I mean, if you think about what we because being from Texas, we were Mexico back then. Right. It's a completely different situation. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that I don't think Texas has a history of building on the backs of laborers that were slaves and were hurt and were taken advantage of. I think that that is absolutely a part of Texas's history, but it's just a different, it's a different experience than what was happening in Charleston during that same time. There were no plantations down there. Exactly. There were no plantations here. Right. That was east of us. But my point is that that one chapter of the history book back in middle school may not be the proper level of foundation of understanding exactly what slavery does, the pain that it caused for generations. Right. Well, and 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 you going to see all the way it. You back, to like, see it. Put your you hands on it. You hear about slaves from the Bible time. You hear about the Egyptian slaves. Certainly. But there's never been the like that human exists. Humans took people captive and then turned them into slaves. The real conversation about humanity mm-hmm. and why our collective consciousness is now lifting the veils and choosing to not do that anymore and to have real, honest, horrific conversations just like we are for that trauma, just like we are for sexual trauma, yeah. just like we are for all the different traumas you, that yeah, humans you, you have that created upon each other for centuries. Well, in the conversation you had last week, you talked about how you're pulling it up. You're no longer avoiding it. You're pulling it out of its compartments so that you can look at it, call it what it is, and then begin the healing process. Right. I guess you had that same kind of notion when it comes to this completely other kind of trauma that fingerprints are all over America. 
Yep. And you've, you're hearing it from people that you can tell care so very, very much about the land and Charleston, their home. And those people in Charleston were so kind, Joe. Every single person that I spoke to was kind and friendly. And they were all types, all different kinds of people. Yeah. Kindness and love. And there was so much about that Magnolia Plantation that really meant so much to me. Because then, as we learn, well... After the Civil War, the arm, the Union Army, Sherman, they were burning down everything because they have to leave behind nothing right. so that you can't do this again and come back and try to win, you know. So they burned the houses down. The way the guy described it, he's like, if you've seen pictures of what Germany looked like after the war, right. that's what Charleston looked like after the war. It was burned to the ground. And there was no, you've burned our fields. We can't grow in them. They ruined, okay, so there's the way their rivers work. They cut into their rivers and made their water brackish. Oh, wow. So now we can't raise corn on our fields anymore. Right. Our, 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 our water supply no longer, is now damaged. Our water supply is yeah. damaged. Our fields have too much salt salt in them now. We can't grow corn. We don't have labor anymore. We're paying for the crimes of right. th this decision to continue to fight for something that a part of our country didn't believe in anymore. Mm -hmm. But now what? How do we keep our family wealth? How do we create more family wealth? Well, in the generations, the son that was still alive during the Civil War right. that owned the home, owned the family home, because this family home was 12 generations. Oh, wow. 12 generations later, it's still owned by the exact same family that owned it in the original time. This particular son had married a woman from Philadelphia. She was a city girl and she kind of hated the plantation. Well, what he did to make her happy there was build her these amazing, beautiful gardens that had plants in them that, that hadn't been even in and been in America yet. When that burn down happened and they couldn't make money on rice and they had to sell a section of their land. Okay. So the way that it worked back in the old days, back in that time, was basically your river was your highway. You didn't drive. You rode the steamboat, mm -hmm. right? So you could drive, you could ride the steamboat up from Charleston to Magnolia Plantation and see the gardens for a dollar. And that's how that man kept his family wealth was that he created a tourist site. Shifted and so it was, a, it was a tourist site ages and ages ago. And then, you know, through the family, there was some wealth that transferred from here to there, da, 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 la, 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 whatever. And then now they're, you know, and, and one of the ladies, when she was showing around, us around the house, she says, and we continue to take your dollar to this day, <laughs> you know, like to keep the family land alive. And that was just magnificent. Just the whole, you know, and then I won't even go, we've already talked so much, but I won't go deep into the nature tour with, of course, I'm ridiculously excited about literal alligators. Right. That's an alligator right there jumping off the bank into the water. My feet are like two feet away from the alligator, uh -huh. you know, and the birds and the plants and the dragonflies and all the different, and just the love that that woman had of that land, the love that that woman had of the birds. And, and I guess they're working hard to keep it as nat nat naturally pure as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. She said that. She, talk she talked about that very much, that this is their land. We just drive through it and look at it and try to make them as comfortable as possible. So I got to experience the nature and the history of Charleston. Now that we've, you know, we've gone on this amazing plantation tour, and we were kind of driving around in the more downtown, it's called the Battery part of Charleston. Yeah. They actually have some really nice like downtown piers and they have a bridge like ours. Not ours now, but the one we're getting. But they have this massive, beautiful city park pier 
with swings on it, like porch swings on oh, it. Oh, yeah, okay. You know me. I was freaking in heaven. Yeah. And there I was sending it back to all our council people and whatever. Hey, this is what I want. This one, this one, this one. And one of them said, yeah, Charleston and Corpus Christi are a lot alike. Actually, Corpus Christi is bigger than Charleston. And, and the other thing is Charleston is at the end of the road too. Yeah. Charleston is a peninsula out at the end of the road. You're, going you're not going there to only go there. You're, yep. not, you're not passing through. And it's a port and it has the same type of petrochemical industry. And so don't give me any more damn excuses, y'all. It's what you called it earlier. The lack mentality here. The lack mentality. We can have anything we want here and it can be amazing and beautiful. And I'm so happy to see some of the things that are already starting to pop up for that, for our area. It was our, it's our last official full day. And I say to my mom the next day, I say, okay, let's go do some island hopping. We put our swimsuits on. Of course, it was too cold to actually get in the water, but I had my swimsuit on. I had my little sarong wrapped around the bottom, you know, whatever. Took the top off of the thing and we went down to Folly Beach. And when I drive up to this island, this island reminds me of, I think it was Oceanside in California. When we were in California, we drove up to Oceanside because we got to watch the surf. And there really wasn't much surf. So you could see the... Guys that were surfing, they were trying to catch a little bit bigger waves on one side of the pier. And then you could see the rest of the people that were, you know, with the long boards and were just kind of chilling. But it that's, reminded me so much of that time well, that you one and of I, our, I was going to say, it's one of our favorite things to do when we want to go on a driving, be tourists where we live, mm-hmm. is go to the beach and we'll stop at this place to get some oysters and we'll stop at this place to get a beer and we'll stop at this place to go walk, but then we'll end up in Port Aransas at Horace Caldwell Pier. Mm-hmm. And we went out there one time and there was some kind of surf event, weather event. Weather event, yeah. And there were, we were watching the cars arrive mm-hmm. and get their boards out there. Mm-hmm. And we sat out there for a couple of hours yep. just watching yep. surfers. Yep. Your mom posted a picture of three guys with their butts toward the camera laying on their boards. Uh-huh. And the view is nice out here. Uh-huh, yeah. That, that, Exactly. And they do this thing where they like, they get their board going even faster. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how they do it, but they do. And it was funny because this one lady walked up and we started talking about us being from the Gulf Coast and that we surf, but our surfs, our waves are not that great here. But she said, so, oh, do you surf? And I said, no, 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 I have surfed, but I don't surf, but I know the waves because I'm from here. So right. I know, th- I know the surf. I know what it feels like. I know what it, you know, that side of it. So that was a lot of fun too. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. After we've been watching the surfers for a while, mom says... I could sure use a Bloody Mary. Oh, we're breaking fast at 11 o'clock today. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> so we walk down and find a place that's open that has like a completely outdoor, like, you know, they've got the garage doors rolled completely up. This particular beach town is more of the like spring break beach vibe. We sit down and we order our drinks. And then she goes, I'm going to order these steamed oysters. I've never had this before. Whatever, that's fine. You know, I've got my little mimosa there and I'm I look down, I'm like, I'm gonna order an oyster shooter. So like literally a shot with an oyster dropped inside of it. Got it. And I noticed on all of their stuff there, that place had gulf oysters. Oh good. That's what they're selling. How there. were theirs compared to ours? They were great. Yeah. They weren't quite as big as ours though. I noticed that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that also happened during this trip is that every single waiter, waitress, bartender are all like 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. They're all babies. They're all our age babies. Right. That was great. So it's got this cute little young girl and she brings out a bucket of oysters and she brings out our little, these, this little tool thing. And my mom looks up at her and she's like, well, what do we do with this? Right. How do we do this? Yeah, this ain't, this ain't like home. And she's like, oh, you just stick it in and you twist it and... So at that moment, I'm like, this, this is the thing you come to Charleston to do. This is the thing you have to do. I immediately went to Google. 
Uh-huh. Because here where we live, it's oysters on the half shell. Yes. They crack them and shuck them and yeah. open them and you eat them raw. And then you can have oysters Rockefeller or fried oysters. Certainly. Or, you know. And right. so I immediately went to go Google what are steamed oysters because mm-hmm. this is where I know I get to come in later and make some steamed oysters here. Mm-hmm. And we are going to. Mm-hmm. And we will talk about them in a future episode. Mm-hmm. And you only steam them, according to the research that I've done, for like three to eight minutes. Uh-huh. And that loosens up that shell and... It kind of pops open. According to... Yeah, you can Uh open it with a butter knife. Yeah, that's basically what this little tool was. You steam them until a couple of them begin to open and then you're done. Uh And I was looking for, well, do you put spices and herbs or butter or lemon or anything in the water? And Uh you can, of course, but typically it's just Uh water. Uh So that you're getting the flavor of the oyster directly from the sea. Uh And they were very, very, very good. And this is where I say, for those of you that are not from here, you can tune out for a second or whatever. But this is where I say... Richard Lomax, I'm sending this podcast directly to you because Water Street Oyster Bar should, without a doubt, be steaming oysters for people to have steamed oysters. Well, it takes the raw off of it. And that's a stigma for a lot of people, eating a raw oyster gross. But even just the fun of it. Like, I liked the flavor was delicious, but also the idea that you're sitting out in a beachy type town with a bucket of oysters, with a little cracker and your drink, you know, like we do with our boiled shrimp. Right. Same kind of concept. It's a tactile function of dining. Fun, fun, fun. We should totally be doing this here. It was so well, good. We're going to do loved it here it. on the show within a few episodes. Yay. I love it. Everyone you should brought go that to home. Charleston and go to Folly Beach. Folly Beach was fantastic and fun. You should go there. And you should drive around and look at all the houses and you should eat steamed oysters. As I was there thinking about it, I was like, this is this little Folly Beach town is a Joe and Aislinn little world. My mom had bought us these really cool scarf masks, chiffon scarf, pretty, and then they kind of hang down in front. And we got compliments on them everywhere we went. Every woman in Charleston wanted to know where we had gotten our cool masks from. (laughs) Sounds like you had a great time and you came back, like I said, at the top, energized, rested, relaxed, and ready to go. It was perfect. Well, I wasn't going to let you walk through the door without a rich, satisfying meal available. Yeah, I texted you on the drive because we had a little bit of a drive to get back home. I was like, I'm hungry. That's not what you texted me at all. What you texted me was a photograph from the Italian's restaurant here locally <laughs> that they were making Oso Buco. Oh, yes, that's true. On Thursday night for farm-to-table dinner. I'm hungry. And I had already seen those pictures of Oso Buco that they were going to be making. And we, the next time that they make Oso Buco, You just want to say Oso Buco going. a lot. Oso Buco. Because you like Oso Buco. Buco. But Oso. I had decided earlier in the day to make an easy, no-fuss beef stew. I had a pound and a half of beef stew meat in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Potatoes, carrots, onions, red wine, beef broth from our freezer, and a little bit of red wine vinegar mm-hmm. in an hour and a half long, slow and low slow boil. Mm-hmm. Then when that gets done, I added a little bit of arrowroot. You could use cornstarch. You could use flour with water. You mix that up and then you kind of pour it in a little bit, pour it in a little bit until it's getting to that stew thicker consistency. I did not go to the grocery store to get a loaf of crusty bread. Mm-hmm. Like a sopping bread. I knew you I wouldn't, wouldn't have that, eaten it yeah, anyway. You wouldn't have been into that, but I certainly would have. And a little salad on the side with that Greek seasoning from mm-hmm. last week. Mm-hmm. I'm using it up until mm-hmm. it's all gone. Mm-hmm. 
As we're driving in, just I some told, comfort food, you know. I, yeah, I told mom uh, that you had made that yeah. and that you had had that for dinner, and she was like, oh, "I want some." And I, I said, "You want me to tell him to bring you some when yeah, she to drive comes out to, to the pick farm me up? to pick you up?" She was very happy about that. She definitely we needed that comfort food. Turned so. out really, really good. It was delicious. We'll have it for leftovers tonight if you don't mind. So you know, when you pull home after having a luxurious trip with your mom, and you go in in the beach, I could have gone and got the oso and, buco and done the whole thing, but I wanted to make you something. But instead, what I got was a Range Rover and a bowl of delicious stew. <laughs> you Life are is good. welcome. <laughs> Backyard TV. In tonight's top story, how did Joe handle plant sitting? While you were gone, I put up a Facebook Live on our Dinner Table Talks Facebook page. All of these little plants. On my baby starter plants. All of your baby starter plants. And I'm talking racks and racks Mm -hmm. and racks as far as the eye can see. And you said, Joe, I don't want any of these dead when I get home. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, there's a hurricane in the Gulf. (laughs) Bye. So I'm out there. They can't drown. The wind can't blow they them over. They are getting <laughs> rain and rain. The hurricane went far north of us. It was actually just a, just a tropical storm. But Thankfully. we got a couple of really good rain days, the first couple of days of your mm-hmm. trip. No fuss, no muss for me. I don't have to go water them, but they are getting plenty of water. I'm out there with microscopes and magnifying glasses and shooing away little flying flittery things that I don't, I I don't want to eat. I kind of love that you had to have a little bit of responsibility over the plants so that you could learn to love them a little bit, you know? I think that's good. And then that video that I post, I'm like, hold on, guys, look at this squash. She's over there having a great time, eating oyster shooters, drinking <laughs> Bloody Marys at 11 o'clock the in the afternoon. Waiters. And I'm over here doing all of the, not even work, but just worry and responsibility because this is our food. Yep. All is. of those baby plants are going to be in my kitchen three to six months from now, whatever the right timing is. Mm-hmm. And then you see that video <laughs> and then you post a video. It's all on our Facebook page. Ha ha. Ha ha. Anyway, I think that they made it through, but it leads me. It looks really good. They look really to the good. The other thing that you said earlier, which was you can't wait to start planting. It's time to go on the ground. So next week will be my time to start going back out to the farm. And here as well, I'll start putting plants in the ground, seeds in the ground. So moving all my tomato plants, eggplants, you know, all my brassica, cabbages, broccoli, all of that stuff, moving all of that stuff into the ground and then continuing to put um, seeds in pots, but also beginning to put seeds in the ground. And all my squash and all my cucumbers, all that stuff is going in the ground now. And it's perfect timing, perfect timing because perfect weather. the, the weather is cooler, mm-hmm. the soil has moisture in it, it is Perfect timing. I hope everyone that plants is planting in South Texas right now. Anything. Grow some food. Could you even say that plant plants, plant some plants, plant yourself a garden, plant yourself some food would be one of our code of ethics for dinner table talks? I'm glad you brought that up because I think we should convene the committee next week and come up with our second dinner table talk code of ethics. I agree. And now it's time for... I've chosen from the what would you do category. What would you do? Would you repackage a gift in a trendy store box to lead a friend to believe that you'd purchased it there? No. No. But I would all right, re- listen, see y'all next yeah. week on uh, Dinner Table Talks. Where, I, mean, this. I would repackage a gift. I would re-gift. I re-gift things. In our garage is a large blue plastic tote box filled with... Any and every gift bag that yeah, we get. Right. 
And every Christmas, we pull that box out uh-huh. and we put all of our Christmas gifts in those, especially for the family. I don't give a shit about And wrapping. I take a Sharpie and it says, to Joe from Aislinn. <laughs> and I cross out Joe. I cross out Aislinn. To Hunter from Dad. <laughs> we, I don't give a crap about that. We don't that. care about I don't want to spend money on that. <laughs> and if you do, I'm glad that you do. Yes. I'm glad that you If that brings you joy. That. Right. Exactly. But no, I would never go get a... I'm not trying to fool somebody. No. I'm not trying to fool anybody. No. And the other thing is, is that I might be going to a party where I want the gift wrapping to be a little nicer. Sure. Something like that. Right. But again, not going to lie to you. I'm so full of joy like a child. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. You have a booger hanging out of your nose, and I can't look at you without thinking about it. (laughs) Oh, God. No, I do not. You did.